Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for Hello, and welcome to Season 30, Episode 25 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Emily. Yeah. Um, and all right. And then it's the first time you've been at the advice show in a while. First time I've been at the advice show ever in person. That's true. I've been on, only been on in Zoom. And um, it's always been like questions about D&D, which I don't play much of. So I'm very <laughs> happy to see that tonight's questions are not about D&D. Yes. So. <laughs> I always kind of feel that way, too. I'm like, <laughs> but D&D, not a lot. Um, all right. Uh, in tonight's show. Sean in Washington asks about games with inclusive or exclusive PC roles. Rob from Down Under talks about the Alien RPG and Year Zero Engine. And this is kind of a callback to a conversation we had about, um, like, economies in games and how it can, like, what what uh, characters can spend money on or are interested in spending money on. And, um, and that was from before, I think, last season, but I don't remember. Um, and Jonathan asks about designing RPGs and RPG adventures. If you'd like to contribute a question or a story to the show, email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And announcements. I feel like a newscaster. I know. Right this now. Is, <laughs> it's very, especially with just the two of us here with like our papers. It's like very, it's very official feeling tonight. I don't well, Kimmy, the Dodgers face up. <laughs> I don't know anything. I, like, I can talk about D&D more than I can talk about the Dodgers. <laughs> um, so, announcements. Um, this is the last episode of Season 30. So, um, we like talk about it. We thought about it as a group. And we decided like 25 episodes in a season is a nice like number that feels complete, but not uh, you know too much. Um, so, we're going to be taking a two-week break. And we'll be back to record the first episode of Season 31 on October 21st. So, um, just personally, like, this has been quite a journey <laughs> taking it over and like having this, like suddenly be my thing I control. And you've all been amazingly supportive from the people who, you know, do they donated on our baby registry that we had at the beginning to get items for the new studio and, um, all our amazing Patreons who give every month. And then just everyone just being very patient with me as I learned all the sound stuff. Thank you so much. It was very nice. And I, my heart is very full about it. And please continue to be patient because I feel like I'm getting better at this as I go. It's, you're doing great. Okay. You're doing great. <laughs> if you donate to my baby registry, I'm giving all that to my baby. I just want you to be clear on that. <laughs> yes. Well, Although it's not publicly available. No. So good luck finding it. Yeah. Good luck I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. It's okay. Um, yeah. It was, it was funny because uh, I wanted to do like an Amazon gift like mm -hmm. gift uh list but the thing is is like for most of them you have to donate the entire item and mm -hmm. some of the items are kind of expensive so it was like um if i make it a baby registry people can like combine and like donate money towards an item yeah and which is much better functionality but 
So we had to lie and say we were having a baby, but we had a studio. Come on, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is listening right now. He's yeah. going to implement that yeah, today. Yeah, sure. Today. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, anyway, thank you all again so much. Um, please keep writing in your emails. Please keep supporting and liking and, uh, and the show. And thank you all for hanging in there through a not insignificant change of kind of a personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you. Um, yeah. All right. Mailbag number one. And I'm just going to give you all a heads up. Nick was supposed to be here tonight. Um, so he's added to our mock them mercilessly list with Adam. Yeah. And he may just walk in at any point or he might text me later and be like, oh my God, I completely forgot. Nick, what is this? What is this? You're usually like one of the, now to be fair, um, there is, there is a big wedding in the Happy Jacks, like, very close-knit family happening this weekend. So a lot of us are, like, frantically packing because it's a travel wedding and all these things. So we're, a lot of us are very stressed out this weekend. So I might give I might give Nick a pass. You can call it the Happy Jacks Cinematic Universe. It's <laughs> fine. That's what it is. It is. Yeah. So we have our wedding episode coming up this weekend. <laughs> and it's a way. And... You should do a one-shot at the wedding and That'd make so it a good. wedding episode. You know... I, that would be amazing. If I wasn't wrangling a two-year-old flower girl, mm. they would be more doable. But, mm. yeah. I mean, I'll show up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Adam, Joey, I, I know you're over there doing Can you just... It's your turn. Can you just come yeah. over here and stop with the vow? Kiss them real quick and go on. Yeah. yeah. Listen, your <laughs> vows, can you do... Can you roll a d20 and, and see how you do on your vows? Uh, add charisma. Oh, I think that's D and D talk. I did that I right. That you yeah, I think so. Yeah. Plus, plus cha. With cha. With 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 Joey, there's always a lot of cha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. First email. Uh, do you want to read it? Or do you want me to read it? I can read it because okay. it's very long. And it is. I think that people will enjoy uh, yeah. me reading it very long. And we can kind of like stop yeah. and break it up and do the discussions in between too. Hello, okay. Kimmy and other esteemed hosts. Hi to you. His I, Sean, outside DC, aka RU Jedi from the Discord, back again with another topic for the fantastic crew, this time about inclusive and exclusive games. You all and the broader Happy Jacks community are amazing people, and I'm thankful to be part of the group. One of the things that makes you wonderful is the intentional inclusivity you bring to your games and the hobby. I'm also happy to see the broader hobby making advances toward more inclusive gaming. Sure, some parts of the hobby are slower and less supportive than others, but it's progress overall. From what I recall, advice show episodes that discuss aspects of inclusive gaming usually pertain to diversity and inclusion among the players, not diverse character groups or the types of characters that people play. Sidebar. I initially wrote this email weeks ago after Season 30, Episode 18, inspired by discussion from James from New York's LARPing Horror Story, but the email got stuck in my drafts folder. (laughs) This was for the best, because I think it builds nicely on Ken in Canada's email from Episode 23 about playing only cis white male characters. Kimmy, Riley, and Jason had a fantastic discussion on Ken's email and offered advice on respectful and potential exploratory gameplay. I highly recommend it. And sidebar, Kimmy, do you have, like recaps of those those discussions that discussion was actually one of those discussions was just last week i think time is a little iffy for me um but we had a someone write in about they feel comfortable as a pc they're a cis uh straight white guy and they're like i play pcs that are also those is that a problem and our main consensus was like as a player no (laughs) that you know play what you're comfortable doing 
if you want to explore the things, you can do that respectfully. There's a lot of little asterisks on that, so listen to that conversation. But mostly, as a player, that's totally fine. As a GM, that is a big problem because you want to make sure your world's diverse. That's mm -hmm. like the very short version. Yes, yes. In recent advice show, season 30, episode 18, Jason mentioned that when he sits down to play a game, he often wants to play someone that doesn't look like himself. I also share that opinion. A large part of role-playing fun for me is to be someone or something different. This got me thinking more about character-based inclusion and exclusion in gaming, and if there are boundaries or times when it is less appropriate or not to play characters who are unlike our personal selves. While this was addressed partially in Season 30, Episode 23, that discussion we just recapped, I wonder about games that by design put players in a position to intentionally choose to play or restrict from playing a character unlike their personal self. With that in mind, let's look at two relatively new award-winning games as a starting point. Thirsty Sword Lesbians, the uh, current reigning any Game of the Year winner, yeah. and Coyote and Crow. Both offer amazing contributions to the RPG hobby, but in different ways, and have different takes on how players should play. Disclaimer, I am intrigued by these games and read, read through their books, but have not played through them. For those not familiar, Thirsty Sword Lesbians by Evil Hat Productions is about telling queer stories with characters in dramatic conflict seeking human connections, often but not necessarily romantically, in a fantasy setting using PBTA mechanics. Of course, the predominant character focus are lesbians. However, gameplay is open to players of any sexual orientation or gender identity, and there are no restrictions that tie your personal identity to that of your character. Conversely, Coyote and Crow, by a company of the same name, takes place in an alternate history sci-fi setting where indigenous Native Americans did not experience colonialism and instead developed into a technologically advanced society. Coyote and Crow uses their own system and dice pool mechanics. The game focuses largely on stories that would resonate with indigenous players and empowers them to leverage their heritage into the game. Players who do not have indigenous heritage are encouraged to play, but the designers request that they not make characters with tribal identities. The designers also provide additional separate guidance for how players with and without indigenous heritage should roleplay their characters in the context of the game's setting. Uh, before we move on, have you played either of these games or, or read them? Yes, I've read both of them. Um, I've played Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Um, I have not played Coyote and Crow, but I have watched some APs of it, mm -hmm. um, and I've backed both of the Kickstarters for these. So I'm, pr I'm pretty familiar with them. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more familiar with Coyote and Crow's um, aspects in this part as this, because I've like read through them specifically. Um, I remember reading something about it in Thirsty Sword Lesbians, but I don't remember yeah. quite as perfectly. So Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same. I, I have not played either. I have read both. Um, and I, Coyote and Crow, uh, Coyote and Crow? I always say Coyote, because I'm from South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, Coyote and Crow like has a lot more on this. Thirsty Sword Lesbians has some. Um, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is just sort of like, if you want to be a lesbian, you are in the world of Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Yes. So, um, from what I can tell, going back to the email, both games were created with great care and respect by people within their communities. They both give a strong representation boost within the gaming community. Yet, where Thirsty Sword Lesbians seems to embrace an inclusion-for-all gameplay position, Coyote and Crow's stance is more exclusionary by using a player's real-world identity to draw clear lines around the types of characters that a player should play. By design, these games help tell different kinds of stories with different types of gameplay. 
I recognize these might not be the best examples to compare. They may view, they may be viewed unequally when it comes to role playing and social acceptability. I welcome other respectful games you would like to add for comparison. Sadly, there are dumpster fire games such as TSR's Star Frontier's New Genesis, which embrace, embrace exclusionary character building designs as thinly veiled transphobia, sexism, and racism. Such games should be called out and proverbial, proverbially banished to an oubliette. That is a hard phrase to say. Like, <laughs> thank you, Sean, for making me say proverbially, proverbially banished to an oubliette. But let's steer clear of these for now, lest they skew the discussion and take time away from the respectful games and discussion well deserving of your attention. Very good. Using a session zero and safety tools can largely help understand players' potential concerns and determine if a game is right for that group or help establish social boundaries for how players should play their characters. See episode 23. This also applies to the vast majority of games that do not explicitly include or exclude guidance on people playing characters that do not match their personal selves. Even at times when session zeros may be hard to conduct, such as pickup groups at your friendly local game store or convention play, a quick discussion before gameplay can help avoid issues later, especially if I if using pre-gen characters. Better yet, if you have pre-gens, let the players fill in these sorts of character descriptions. I also think a quick general post-game check is helpful to ensure or at least address any negative concerns from the game session, which could include how players portrayed their characters Keeping the feedback collection effort generic and preferably anonymous helps reduce social desirability bias in their response. This check could be part of or in addition to general feedback tools like stars and wishes. For tonight's crew, I ask, is it helpful or harmful to the gaming hobby to have games that are intentionally exclusionary toward players making certain characters? Do you have an opposite opinion for games being intentionally inclusionary? To what extent do you agree or disagree that it doesn't really matter if games have inclusive or exclusive character building designs, because there are so many different game alternatives to play that people and groups will sort themselves out? Given GM efforts to respectfully offer a wide range of NPCs, to what extent should a GM be held to a game's exclusive character building and gameplay? Thanks again all for all you, for us, and the hobby. Uh, there are some PSs, but I'm going to leave those until we're done <laughs> we'll discussing. Those yeah, yeah. Cheers, Sean, just north of Washington, D.C., and are you Jedi on Discord? I'm going to start with saying that the intent... Now, okay, I thank you so much, Sean, for your email. I really appreciate it. I am going to... I hope you don't take this as an insult. I A lot of people are comparing these games and a lot of games like this, and it's sort of like the comparing two women characters in something because they're women characters or or two works of art by women just because they're by women even if they're completely different um both thirsty sword lesbians and coyote and crow are created by marginalized groups but the intent of the games like if if you took away the knowledge of that you would not compare these two games ever because the intent of the game the style of play of the game is completely different mm -hmm. like like Mechanics aside, um, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is like a fun, wild romp through drama. Yeah. It is like meant to be messy and so, and not silly necessarily, but there's a little bit of a silly element there. There's or camp. A, yeah, camp. Yeah. A lightheartedness to it. Um, that is identifying and owning something about a community of people. And while Coyote and Crow is definitely about, again, another you know, marginalized, uh, at least in our reality, group of people, the intent is not the same there. It is, you know, you are, are playing 
well, you can have fun and you can have silly moments and stuff like that. Like any RPG, it's much more, um, I don't want to compare it to D&D, but it's more like that where you have a world you can play in and then the tone of your game can, can vary wildly depending on what your group wants to play in that world. It is, so, so already right there, you have great reasons for there to be differences in the, the PCs and that you can pick and you can create. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it's also worth considering, you know, the, the, the groups of people and the, and the intent of the game again, but also the sort of how it's depicting these marginalized groups. Thirsty Sword Lesbians is in essence, is about queerness. And in essence, part of its argument is that everybody is a little bit queer that, you know, if you are a straight cis hat white guy, you still probably have like that one super hot actor guy where you've been, yeah, I'd kiss him on the mouth like that, like <laughs> sort of that idea of like everybody has a little bit of queerness inside of them. And Thirsty yeah. Sword Lesbians invites you to get in touch with that. Um, I, an extremely white person, uh, don't have. Um, a little bit of indigenous, like literally, I don't have any indigenous ancestry according to 23andMe.com. <laughs> and when you think about, um, how, uh, the relationships between white colonizers and, uh, Native American populations or indigenous populations in other countries, I mean, you look at this and this is a game that is set up to posit a world in which none of that happened. If I come in as a white person and say, I'm going to play a Native American character that automatically replicates the experience that uh, the game is attempting to avoid. I do think it really depends on the game. I do think it really depends on the, the intents, but uh, a game I think has a really great set of mechanics around this is the game cartel. Mm -hmm. um, and you should look that up. It's from magpie games. Uh, it has the single best section I've ever seen on how to role play someone who is not of your race, because that game is specifically set in Mexico among the drug trade. And it is aware that most of the people who play it are not going to be of Mexican descent. And so it says, we want you to play characters from this world. We don't want to do the Breaking Bad thing where it's like we're telling a story in this world, but predominantly about white people. We want this to be about the kinds of people that would exist in this world. Therefore, here are ways to do this respectfully. Not every game's going to do that. I think it is easy for us as gamers who have rules mm -hmm. to want there to be concrete rules on what's okay and what's not, but I really think it's, it's, it's game dependent. Yeah. Coyote Pro actually has, I, I don't remember the specific text. I meant to like bring it up and have it here. And I did not do that. I apologize. But um, the way it works is it invites you, if you're an indigenous person, to be like, hey, use your actual culture. That's fantastic. You can bring that in. But the point of, a, a big part of the game is also like, if you're not, please don't bring in actual you know, pieces from cultures that you Googled and looked up on Wikipedia. That isn't respectful. Mm -hmm. If you are not of, you know, an indigenous group, use this that we've created for you. Like it gives you mm -hmm. the resources there to use. Be like, hey, this is the culture that we've created for this game, which is, you know, uh, I don't want to say made up. It's like a dream of like, this is what culture could be, this is a hypothetical Native American culture that could be if colonization hadn't happened. Yeah. It does, you know, invite you to play with that freely as part of, you know, and being part of that. So it, it's, it's actually a really smart way of doing it. Um, 
white designers should not do this. You should not write yeah. a, a game that is like just deletes, uh, like our, col our colonizer history, but, um, written by, by indigenous people. It's a really fantastic way of doing it that like, if you have this as part of who you are, bring it into the game, celebrate it. That's fantastic. If you don't, here's a way to, you can still enjoy the game and participate without, you know, just like wholesale stealing things that you have no right to be doing. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I think, and there are games that specifically attempt to replicate like historical atrocities basically, and ask you to put yourself in the shoes of people you aren't, but might have been in that, that case. And like, I think that's another way that people think about this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right that Coyote and Crow has a really smart, way to sort of get around that but i think so does cartel so does there's no, yeah. for lesbians so you know i'm not yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't i wasn't saying they didn't but a lot of people and i'm one of and you know i i was one of these i backed it because i wanted to support it i wanted the game to exist but i honestly never expected to play or run it because mm -hmm. i didn't know if that would be respectful um and then upon getting the beautiful beautiful book like reading through it i was like hey okay i actually because they facilitated it in a way and, and not deep permission is a little bit of a strong term, but kind of like here, like they showed a path to respectfully play the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I actually feel like I could play or run in it very easily. Um, yeah. and I could, you know, I, again, we do have, you know, some indigenous representation in our gaming group, which is great, but it's like having a full table of that is not mm -hmm. always possible, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think it's great that they, they designed with that in mind as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, you bring your cartel was great. That's another, that's excellent, excellent example. Cause that one, they like expect you like, you are playing these characters in this city. You are, you know, you know, are, are of this group. Yeah. So it's like, no, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. This is what you're playing. Here you go. Yeah. And being that one's a PBTA game. So it's like, we've had discussions before about how the playbooks are freeing, but also limiting in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. So it's like, this is your character. You are playing this. Yep. Um, yep. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to sort of return to the point around queerness because RPGs are such a great way to explore queerness. And I think you will often find games that are designed by queer creators or to capture a certain queer experience will have a lot of flexibility in who you can play slash should play, putting air quotes around that. Um, I mean, before I came out, I played almost exclusively women in games. I still play almost exclusively women in games, <laughs> but um, it, it was a big part of me figuring out who I was. And I think a lot of queer players use uh, RPGs to do that. Um, so I, I think that, that queerness is different from race, is different from some of these other categories uh, that we have historically used to marginalize certain groups. So that is that is another big difference, I think, just in how this is laid out. Yeah, I think, I think what you said at the beginning was key. Like, it, there, there's a, there's a spectrum of sexuality mm -hmm. and you can, and, and it is, everyone has, you know, our different places and exploring that is part of our lived experience as anybody. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, race and, and, uh, <laughs> being the, the victims of colonization is not something that people yeah. can just try on and be like, does this fit? It's yeah. like, no, that's not, that's not your place. Yeah. Where you yeah. can be like, does being a woman feel good? Does being a man feel good? Does kissing a woman feel good? Like all, these are all things that you can explore and learn about yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, uh, and I think when you are within an individual game, you know, if I'm playing Apocalypse World or something, there's more freedom there. But it seems like you've discussed all of that previously. <laughs> We talk about a lot of stuff, but there's some very specific questions here I want to make sure we get to. Yes. Um, is it helpful or harmful to the gaming hobby to have games that are intentionally exclusionary towards players making certain characters? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, it's it's a design choice. And I think some of the best games out there are things that make that, that challenge you and make you do something that you wouldn't normally do. Um, and, then, I mean, you learn a lot by yourself by sometimes playing a little bit out of your comfort zone, as long as you're doing so respectfully, obviously. I think about this a lot in terms of, you know, art. I think that games are art that's designed to be played, so it has a, there, there's a relationship between the player and the artwork that is not the same as, like, me going to see a movie. Um, but art should be for... Art should be what it wants to be, and I should bring what I need to to it. And I so I think that... Yeah, it's fine. Whatever happens is fine. <laughs> um, and I think, I know what you mean by the term exclusionary. Mm-hmm. I think that, that can, that's a hard yeah. word, Sean, because exclusionary means like you can't play this. And a lot of these games are not exclusionary towards players. They are exclusionary towards certain types of play. Mm-hmm. And that is a very important distinction. Yeah. It's, you can absolutely play this game, but there are, you know, some like bouncers, like we we're talking about bowling a few episodes ago, and like you have to play and you roll the ball and it bounces back and forth. These are your guidelines. Rails, I guess. Rails is a better term. Bro. I don't know why I went down the bowling thing. I, you said bouncer, and I was just like, like a <laughs> giant man standing outside the game, be like, no, no. <laughs> and see, as a as a mom of a two year old, I'm like bouncer. You know the bounce house, the castle yeah. thing. They jump in and out, and will break their arm on. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, no, I don't think. I don't think it's harmful um, as long as it's not exclusionary towards an individual person. If it is exclusionary towards certain types of play, I think that's okay. I mean, obviously your example of like the bigoted racist bullshit that some companies are putting out, I have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, But that's exclusionary towards people, Mm -hmm. not certain types of play. I'm also like, if somebody wants to make a game that they think that I, a white lady should not play, like, I'm theoretically okay with that. I'm theoretically okay with like, I can watch APs of it or yeah. something like that. I don't think it's, I don't want every game to be that, but like, I think there are certain artworks that are intentionally not for me just in general. And like, I think that's fine. I think that's part of the human experience. <laughs> um, do you have an opposite opinion for games being intentionally inclusive? No. No. Oh, inclusionary, sorry. Uh, what do you, uh, to what extent do you agree or disagree that it doesn't really matter if games are, have inclusive or exclusive character building designs? Because there are so many different game alternatives to play that people in groups will sort themselves out. Sounds yeah, like it's exactly. probably true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. I think good answer. Good. <laughs> and there are. Um, I think, and I think that. This is so true in the indie community. I honestly would love to see more. I mean, we're never going to see it because D&D is like 80% of the hobby. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting. Doesn't that seem weird to you? Like, I, I don't play any D&D and I'm like, that's really that much of the hobby? But it yeah. is. I was like, is I was, that's fine. It's, no, it's a good game. But yeah. yeah. I was reading something on Twitter. So like, take over the grain of salt. But it was like, 
it is actually like like a larger portion of Hasbro, like sales wise, than the toy division of Hasbro. It's on Twitter. Maybe it's not true. I, I'm not. I, I have no like source to cite, but people were having a serious discussion about it. It's like it's like a. It, we don't even understand how big a chunk of the hobby it is. As like people who play other stuff, we're yeah. like, oh, it's all kind of equal, you know, like. You know, uh, Mongoose is a big publishing house, and you're like, no, when you actually compare, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, like, it's like, you know, Godzilla and like, you know, Andrew the dog from Mary Poppins. I yeah. don't know, my daughter's been watching a lot of Mary Poppins. I'm sorry. This is the only thing I can think of. We talked, you know, we talked about, um, earlier about how Thirsty Sword Lesbians won the Any for Game of the Year. And like, yeah. every year there's a new Dungeons and Dragons, it just automatically wins that award. Like, that's just how people are about that game. And it's. Yeah. I saw the trailer for the movie. I think it looks fun. That's an important conversation I just had. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm I'm definitely gonna watch it. Yeah, it's gonna be. I might I might wait till it's streaming and like drunk tweet it. That would be fun. I think <laughs> it's trying to adapt the experience of playing D and D more than it is D and D itself. Like yes. given who's making it, and oh, I God. think that's gonna be. Fun. I think it could work. Yeah, it's absolutely a hey look, we get your jokes. Like they like. There's a there's a big yeah. jelly cube. What are those called? I don't know. <laughs> I just I'll like Chris Pine. Yeah. I think he's I think he's handsome. Chris Pine pay, playing a little lute and like yeah. an outfit. I will watch that. Yeah, I will watch that. Exactly. <laughs> don't even care what's happening in the rest of the movie. It's gonna be hot in the uh, valley tomorrow, yes, everybody. Oh. <laughs> there's traffic on the four hundred five. Uh, there's some PSs here. If we're okay. Ready to move yeah, on to chat has informed me it is a gelatinous cube. Okay. It is a gelatinous cube. <laughs> have you, PS, have you ever wondered how Wonder Woman traveled from Themyscira to London in one day? She's yeah. an Amazon, so she gets next day shipping. Uh, thank you for that. Um, PPS, your show notes on Spotify are fantastic. Please Thank consider you. also posting them to the YouTube videos, which currently lack any specific episode details. Oh, considering that, the one thing that's keeping me from doing that right now is I have the timestamps on the um, show notes. Um, the timestamps would be different because the YouTube has a different runtime, has a different intro, so I'd have to sit and make show notes. Separate. I mean, I have to go through and do all the timestamps separately, but maybe I'll just put in like without timestamps, maybe just like the little chapters or something. Uh, PPPS. I left you a five-star review on Spotify, but Ooh. sadly it didn't ask for open feedback. Oh. I don't use Google Podcasts, but was going to leave you a review there since I use Gmail. However, it doesn't look like they accept podcast ratings. Did you know the podcast on Google is labeled as explicit content? Yes. Well, of course I'm here. So, <laughs> uh, are there other specific platforms you'd like more ratings? Yes. We're actually, we should be labeled as explicit content everywhere because we cuss a lot occasionally. So just in case. Darn. Yeah. It's safer to mark yourself as explicit content and have cleaner episodes than it is to mark yourself as not, you know, to not mark it and then cuss a lot because then you can get flagged and a bunch of stuff. Um, specific platforms. We actually have a ton of people who listen on the Podcast Addict um, app. I don't know why, but we have a ridiculously like strange conglomeration of people who listen. And like Apple Podcast is actually very low on the list for us, which is very abnormal. When I like get drunk hanging out with my other podcaster friends, they're like, "What? How many of your? What percent of your listeners are now that low? Really? Podcast Addict? It's very interesting." Um, no, those are, I mean, any platform is great. We, we like any 
any anyone is great. Apple is still like the biggest one technically. Um, so that one's very helpful if you want if you have an Apple phone, it's already on your mm -hmm. or an iPhone, it's already on there, so you can just log in and leave a thing. Yeah. So that's very helpful. Show up at my house, hold up a sign that says five stars. Yeah. I'll like hey, hey thank you. Thank you for that. That's all. all right. You're still here? What? You can leave my lawn now. Get get off my lawn. I'm calling somebody. Okay. Okay. All right. Mailbag number two. Now, I've been warned in chat that this might be a duplicate of an email we read. And that would be really annoying because I worked really hard this whole season not to have any duplicate emails because that was one of the things that bugged me when Stu sometimes it did that. It looks like it might be a sequel. So I think let's it might find be a out. Yeah, we'll see. All right. If not, I'm just going to talk about Alien. It's so. great. Greetings, good people of Happy Jacks. Glad to see the teething troubles at Dio have finally been ironed out. So now I hope to give Kimmy the update on the Alien game I was running. I think I might have been. I don't know. Uh, so yes, uh, this was a little bit of an older email. So we'll see. Stu asked about, uh, sorry, back in season 21, episode one, you find folks read my letter about trying to make the general uh, modernity of a space trucker and sandbox campaign and in the alien RPG more interesting. Stu asked about the fascination with truckers. Well, maybe truckers is the wrong word. In this context, it's the same fascination that I think is behind Traveler and, of course, Firefly, which I call Millennium Falcon the TV show. If a scruffy crew of beat-up starship traveling from world to world. And I will say that the uh, latest Alien, oh, and I will say that at least Alien has hypersleep to get rid of the days of white line fever in Microsoft Truck Simulator. Sorry, today. Turns out I shouldn't have been worried. While some of my players are a little new to RPGs and not on solid footing about developing character backstories, they created a right pack of reprobates consisting of a colonial marine who's secretly an android. Combat androids are strictly illegal. Although the player has struggled with a personal agenda, he's recently realized that his character wants to be more human. A disgraced former colonial marshal who's ac who accidentally shot and killed someone on the job. Apparently it was a dirty hairstyle intimidation with there might be a blank, uh, well, that was meant to be a blank in the chamber, but still wants to be back on the force. A medic who travels under a false name and potentially false accred uh, accreditations. A star pilot who wants to bring the whole corrupt system down. A scientist who's testing chemical compounds of his own creation that definitely haven't been FDA approved. Intercharacter conflicts still happen. While alien PCs, I keep reading this, I'm like, this sounds like Starscape. Sorry. While alien PCs each have a buddy and a rival amongst themselves and rewards engage, uh, engage each XP, they're still yet to take serious action regarding each other. Stork's suggestion of a strike did happen, though. I, t uh, I turned a rolled result on the job generator table about a delay in cargo loading into a lockdown and curfew. A shortage of food on the main colony planet caused a riot. The group even encountered this and narrowly managed to talk uh, a fight between union reps and colonial marshals down. Nice. Sadly, a combo of real-life drama, mine alone and unrelated to the group, and a feeling that I'm not suited to GMing and an online game brought the campaign to a hiatus in mid-April, right after I had a facehugger alien attack a significant NPC while aboard the character's ship. I was also worried that I escalated to alien way too quickly. Ahem. Anyway, I do have a further question regarding this related to RPGs in general. 
For a game that doesn't sweat the details, Alien is pretty specific when it comes to cash, ammo, living, and even individual shipboard meals uh, that are, are, are charged, not to mention the maintenance on the ship. But somewhere in there, I realized where, uh, when our player characters incentivized to consider saving money for things unrelated to keeping and making them better at their job. This absence is, this absence is particularly disappointing in Alien RPG, given its focus on sci-fi blue-collar types. Still, I have a hard time thinking of any RPG system that gives Private Hudson's four more weeks in, or, and out, or even, uh, Ellen Ripley's covering her daughter Amanda's raising, uh, raising schooling any oomph. Then again, I suspect this is because it suggests a end state. For the very adventuring life that attracts us players to those games. Sure, Hudson might want to retire, but why would we, the audience, or even a player playing a marine character, want him to end a life of risk, challenge, and excitement? Alien, I will say, has some potential on this front. As a Year Zero system, it uh, features a push mechanic, which allows players to either re-roll failed, roll, uh, failed rolls or attempt to get more success on a successful roll at the cost of increasing the character stress level. I won't go into the stress mechanic here. Each player has a signature item that they can use to remove one point of stress per session. I'm thinking that putting cash towards a long-term goal could give them a further stress point decrease. I think it makes sense. I like that. Mm -hmm. But how do you folks in the broader HGA community handle the conflict between in-game cash as a means of power their character up and the in-game character reasons for wanting cash in the first place? What mechanical incentives have you given them for putting money towards a struggling family on the other side of the world or opening a bar on the fantasy burbs instead of the next plus five magic item purchase? And how have you encouraged and then managed your players to develop characters well-rounded enough to actually want to retire from the adventurer's life sooner than later? Thank you again for the entertaining shows. I'm glad to say that the only thing preventing me from that the only thing preventing me from watching every stream live is actual game sessions with friends. All the best from Down Under, Rob. Down Under where? Oh, right? They have a continent down there. That's they do. Right. There's actually, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, there's another hemisphere. There's and the water, like, supposedly goes the other way. <laughs> now you're talking nonsense. Wild. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. This is because. It, it does kind of have a thing. You, you, it's interesting to have a character who wants to retire, but it is not interesting in, as a PC as a PC to retire unless it's like the end of the game, or unless you're bored and you want to move to another character. You don't want to be like the oh, I'm gonna go play golf. Well, like <laughs> your ship's traveling the universe. You're like, hey, hey, everyone, good to see you. I just did nine holes. I think it's nine. Yeah, you can do nine holes. Okay, and uh, I'm gonna go make a sandwich. Well, like you, you know, there's just that, that's not why you play an RPG. So sounds nice to me. <laughs> I mean, there. Are, I'm sure there are like golfing RPGs out there. <laughs> I'm gonna design one. <laughs> Just playing golf, playing golf with your friends. Dave is working on. I don't know if he's still working on it. It was like beginning of pandemic. He was working on um, a uh, like a retirement home mm -hmm. RPG. Oh, that's great. It was very good. Where you all? It, it was like a retirement community. It was like retirement home, but like a retirement community where you're all like older people like in like one of those like planned communities that's like near a golf course and you like all have little golf carts you're like visiting each other during the day and there's like drama and different people 
and it's like kind of Golden Girls inspired a little bit. It's very fun to play test, honestly. Like, it's funny how much like drama you get into. My cat is missing. You yeah. have it. Yeah. Um, I some of my favorite games um, encourage the player to reach a point where the character retires or steps down or steps aside. Um, I actually like this. I just talk about Stone Top all the time. Yeah. But Stone Top is a game that is explicitly like your character might not survive. Your character might decide to stop adventuring. Your character might reach a place where they, you know, have a family or they have a successful business and they're more invested in that. You're encouraged to either design an entirely new character or be like, now my character's daughter is carrying on the family legacy. I'm playing her. Here's the way she's similar. Here's the way she's different. Um, I, I, I love, um, the way that masks kind of, yeah. because masks is explicitly about teenagers mm -hmm. and you stop being a teenager at some point. Like it just happens. I'm, I'm still a teen at heart, but like, and <laughs> it is, um, you know, we're playing, um, um, kids on brooms. Well, we're not anymore, but we were playing kids on brooms. And like, that is another game that's like, you are in a school and eventually school ends and like, if we are able to continue on the Hexbreakers storyline, like I have conceived that as like three seasons, basically, <laughs> because by then you're graduated, yeah. you know? So like, I like games that push you to do that. Should every game do that? No. But I think that a game that is more realistic or has more realistic elements or more grounded elements is maybe a better way to put it as Alien the RPG does is probably well suited to someone who just doesn't want to face these fucking aliens anymore and like right. wants to go retire somewhere. They don't want to have to be Ellen Ripley and constantly enter this scenario. Um, or they just want to be Jonesy the cat. I yeah. let's run an art. Let's run an alien game where we're all cats. Yeah. We need like stray the RPG. Have you played cat? The game where you play a cat. It's so good. Isn't it called stray? Uh, I, there's, oh, okay. there's, there's an RPG called Cat okay. by designer John Wick. Oh, okay. Not yeah. the Keanu Reeves character. No, no, no. Uh, but it is so smart. It's about cats trying to keep their, cats are like magical and can like see the other realm and they're mm -hmm. trying to keep their owners safe. And it's Aww. one of my favorite games to do a one shot of. Um, I, I haven't played it in way too long. But. <laughs> uh, Stray is a video game that was indie and that just blew up for a while on the internet because you literally just play a cat and you're just yeah. killing and you can trip people. Yeah. I don't even like cats and I thought it was amazing. <laughs> I love that it like take I love that it takes place in like a dystopian wasteland, but yeah. you're just playing a cat. Like I think RPGs should do more of that. Yeah. Where it's just like the background is this wild world and you're just playing an old person in a retirement yeah. community. You don't need to explain it. Like who cares about that part? Like yeah. 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 Um yeah, I, I think some of the ways you can do this, like, because there, there's a balance because it's like, especially with games like D&D, &D where gold is such a motivator for a lot of players. And like, that's like why you go into dungeons, because why else would you go in a dungeon other than to like, get rich? And like having them work that hard and do all this to get gold and then be like, put, you know, pay for this imaginary thing that actually doesn't benefit you mechanically in any way is a hard sell for a lot of people yeah i think it's i i think a lot of my friends would be like all for this yeah. um but i would maybe find a way to tie it back in i like how i like your suggestion for um the stress mechanic having it relieve stress yeah i think that's a fantastic use if you're in a system that has something like that um maybe having it you know regenerate um 
like health points in another way if there's a, if there's like a similar mechanic not that they're like getting healthier but it's like helping their overall well-being and calmness and like really is helpful giving it a giving them a benefit of maybe tying it in with uh npcs like okay you're paying your you know you're you're going and killing liches in this dungeon so you can pay your kids you know tuition for their <laughs> You know, really expensive sorcerer school or whatever you're sending them to. Inquid Sanctuary for Universal <laughs> Development. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> High tuition. Quick. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you have, you know, a, a, the principal there is now like on your contact list. So, you know, oh, if you need a really powerful wizard for something or you need a heal or you need a res, like maybe that's someone that they can access now because they've been paying for that relationship. I'm thinking about, I'm now I'm thinking about other games that handle this well. That's just what my brain's been doing this whole time. <laughs> um, if you go back and listen to the Happy Jacks campaign of Great American Witch, which yeah. I was fortunate enough to be in, there is a moment in that game where a player decides to not just retire their character, but effectively like step away from the game and become like an all-purpose NPC. And it's really great. And that system has a really great mechanic for handling that. Um, but also, you know, I think uh, that that player could have just designed a new character um, had they wanted to. Um, another game that handles this well is The Warren, um, which is a game where you all play rabbits. And it is inherently yeah. like the the character that you were most concerned about is the livelihood of The Warren. So if your character, if your rabbit gets beaten by a hawk or something, that's thought to be like, yeah, you're a rabbit. You die. You just make a new rabbit. And like, it's not for everyone, but I, I think... I think there's something interesting in the idea of games that have built-in expiration dates on the characters. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, uh, and I, I don't know if Stone Top does, but I, I think I remember reading it when it, it had, where you can buy, like, upgrades for the society, or mm -hmm. not buy, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, having them spend money, like, on their living quarters, and having it be stuff that isn't mechanical. Yeah. Like, if you have money, and, it, you know, you're giving the, the kind of the Firefly example, like, Maybe, you know, they don't want to get like a faster engine. It's like, hey, you all get nice mattresses on your beds. You can <laughs> sleep a little better, you know, and having just little things like that where they're buying luxury more than like mechanical. Like, oh, this will help us kill people better. I have been playing. I mean, I've been dealing. I've been I was involved. I was involved in Stone Top kind of early on. But the play test we did here was a pretty early play test of that. Not pretty early, but like one of the earlier ones. And. That game struggles. The designer throughout the whole process has been trying to figure out a way to get people to invest in improving the town and not just their characters. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to get people to think, uh, think in a communal sense, yeah. even when you're in a party, like in a game that is designed, that is built atop a system that's like, you're going to do awesome stuff now. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I'm fascinated by how Stone Top handles it because in our game of Stone Top, we didn't do nearly enough improvements to the town. We just mm -hmm. kind of had a good time and were awesome heroes, and that's fine. The game lets you do that, but ideally, it's like replicating a town, and it should feel like a place where you've lived. And I think it's interesting how games struggle to get us to like think long term. Yeah, well, it's so interesting because so many like. Uh, like in the video game world, like sim games where you create, you know, a town and, you know, our kingdom and mm -hmm. whatever are so popular civilization and all these, so many of them. Mm -hmm. But then asking people in a role playing game to do that is sometimes so counter to what, like just the habit they're in yeah. of what you do when you sit down to a role playing game. Yeah. It, I, that, that is a really interesting 
mechanic to kind of think about. Yeah, and it's almost like abstract games, like um, Microscope or um, Quiet Year, mm -hmm. are games where you're like dealing with that societal level of thought, and it they're still like, yeah, they they're basically built to run one session. You know, yeah. you can't do it over and over and over again. No, so. yeah. I love Quiet Year. It's so Quiet Year's Quiet Year's my favorite game of all time. Yeah, that's that's a little little thing I'm gonna drop for y'all here. <laughs> Um, let's see. I think we got all the questions. Um, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, so. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. All right. We're like rocking through these. We were like, these are long emails, but we're like, we yeah, pretty good pace. Yeah. All right. All right. Last one. Mailbag three. Do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? I'm going to do it because I like the sound of my own voice. I like the sound of your voice too. Thank you. Good day, all the lovely and beautiful people of the Happy Jackers. I have a pair of questions hoping to expand the views and gain the insights of the minds that dwell within our heads. These questions stem from the depths of madness and inspirations that vomit forth from the world of TTRPG and adventure creation. So I will try to break this into two separate sections slash questions, though they may tie together. So I guess we'll take these one at a time. Okay. Quick background, I've been running TTRPGs for 29 years, and like many of us, I own easily 100 different RPGs that have their own systems, mechanics, and backgrounds. Yes, some may have crossovers such as Dungeon World and Belly of the Beast. The expansive collection runs from uh, LOTFP, COC, Shiver, Cults, Morkborg, lots of OSR, indie titles, and so many more. I didn't know all of those acronyms. That's how you, <laughs> you know more about this hobby than I do. As well, I have only run my own adventures. I actually was going through it, and the only adventure module I own is Myth Draenor, Cult of the Dragon, from 2nd Edition D&D, in a system agnostic module called Beneath. Mind you, I very recently picked up Witchburner and Hall of the Blood King, some OSR titles, so my experience with them is very limited. Question 1. I currently have six different RPGs I am working on, writing and building mechanics for, lore and worlds I find very easy to create and prefer fragments of it throughout the book. I have one I have stripped down to its roots five times each time I find it mechanically draining to play or run. How, as a game designer slash playtester, do you find focus to build one RPG at a time? <laughs> this is a weird question to ask me. Each time I start working on one of them, something draws my attention to one of the other ones I have in the works. Whether a mechanic or thought causing this drift, what are some of the techniques you use to help focus on one project at a time? I keep all my RPGs in my OneDrive separate folders, and each doc in those folders is a different part or chapter for that particular RPG. Any advice or guidance would be much appreciated. Kimmy, this sounds like it's right up your alley, so uh, I'm going to take more a drink of more water. <laughs> uh, you don't. This is literally like the biggest joke between me and like literally every designer I know. And I know quite a lot of designers now and even designers I don't know just that I like stalk on Twitter. Like this is the big joke. Like you're working on a game and you get the idea for like eight other games. So you make like the empty folder with like your notes about like your idea. And then you keep kind of going back and adding to it when you should be working on your other game. And then you're like, oh, this would be so good. And if you just you just don't. Like, yeah. if, if you find the person who knows how to do that, like, let me know, because I will write them an email and ask them how to do it. But I have not met a designer yet who's able to do that. Unless the only the only difference is people who are being paid by large companies mm -hmm. to work on something. And it's not even then, like, that they're able to do it. It's like that they have to do it. <laughs> like, I, only, I only have one game design idea. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to get them in the middle of the podcast now. Like, people write in stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's such a great idea. What What are you, what are you thinking of right now? <laughs> right this very minute? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. But I'm, okay. I'm thinking back to another 
like uh I think Erica wrote an email or somebody wrote an email about um that that inspired an idea for an RPG where you together collaboratively create like the the last battle mm. or oh God, what was it yeah it was like where you create like the storyline that you know uh, of this big last battle and you go back and you role play what like what leads up to it yeah so it's like you create the big art overarching thing like world building something more like quiet ear where it's not like actual role playing and then you go back and like fill in the role play choices that led you through this timeline so you, you lay out the timeline first and then you go back and you role play to make that timeline happen so it's record scratch freeze frame yes that's me you're probably wondering how i got into this the role playing game <laughs> Is is that really a thing? I don't know. Oh, okay. I like that. That's the the meme is record scratch free. Oh. You're probably wondering how I got into this situation. I, uh, I that's a great title for it. It's <laughs> not, I thought it was a game. I was like, that's a great name for that game. Listen, <laughs> listen. If you want to name a game, you're probably wondering how I got into this situation. You should. That's yeah. that is a good name. Yeah. Uh, I'm running this down. Bam. Say something. <laughs> I um I I like I mean I don't design games. I write uh, scripts and yeah. novels and journalism and things like that. Uh, it's impossible if you have, if you are working in creative fields, I am duty bound to my agent to turn in a manuscript of my novel <laughs> by November 10th. And I keep being like, what if I wrote this instead? What if I didn't revise this novel I've been working on so long? And then my brain's like, no, you have to do this for people who want to give you cash money. I'm like, no, I don't want money. I just want to have not be told what to do by anyone. <laughs> Actually, I do want money. Money helps me live and I'm having yeah. a baby. So, but yeah, it's... They're very expensive. You, yeah. you have to, you kind of have to find a way to compartmentalize. And I think that what you do with your OneDrive folders is, I mean, that's just a good a yeah. good way to do it. Um, it's a much better system than mine. So for, good for you. Yeah, I'll touch on mine for just a second. Um, and mine is very much exacerbated by the fact that I have ADHD, but um, I am allowed to be actively working on two games at a time. Currently, those games are Starscape and Mains and uh, Mains and Magic, which is my kids' unicorn game, which I haven't actually touched in months. But when I come up with ideas, like I said, like I make, like I I, I use my my Google Drive, uh, I make a new folder for it, and in there is a, just a doc. And I'm allowed to type like ideas when I get them, but I'm not allowed to flesh out those ideas. I'm not allowed to like start typing actual rules or any of that stuff. So I have like a little bullet pointed list so I don't forget good ideas. And then I have to go back to actually writing the other ones. And I have to finish one of the other ones before I'm allowed to actually go in and actively work on any of those games. Yeah. And so I have like 10 of these folders now and I have one published game and two working on being like being written games. And then lots of other idea folders. Yeah. But it, it, it helps me at least keep... Because my problem is, is I will forget them. Like, I will not remember these ideas. So, like, if I have a great idea, I have to get it da documented quickly. But I also have to put limitations on myself. So my motivation very often for working on something that I'm working on is because I want to work on the next thing. And if I actually enforce that rule on myself, which I'm pretty good about following my own rules, is like, okay, I have to, have to finish this. I have to get this out. And, yeah. And then start playtesting because then people are like, they bought, they bug you. They start being like the squeaky wheel that will motivate you to continue working. Yeah. It's been a long time since I playtested one of your games, Kimmy. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> been a bit. Yeah. So, well, Starscape is almost to the place where I'm going to maybe run like an AP of it pretty soon. And okay. you're not going to be able to do anything because you have a baby. 
We'll make it work. The baby's not going to actually require that much attention, right? They sleep all the time. They cry sometimes. You got to feed them. I'm never leaving my house again, is what I'm learning. I really wanted to see Avatar 2. I'm the, I'm the one person. <laughs> the one person. And I'm having a baby. Not the, the joke I was expecting, but that was the joke I needed, okay? <laughs> uh, we, okay. we want to move on to question two? Sure, I feel like we've done the best we can, yeah. Question two, for some odd reason I have this very brutal need to write adventures and want to put them out into the world. What are some of the things you look for in an adventure module? I have viewed many YouTube videos on the subject. I would love your views and thoughts. I listened to the location listing idea, and I'm going to use that for building the building of areas to help focus my thoughts that tend to take chaotic paths that are endless and cross the netherworld dreams of countless lives. With that, I leave it to you. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and experience in the matters I present. Take you. Thank you for all you do. Much love, and may the dice god always smile upon you and drink. Sincerely, Jonathan Knightley Defeat in the Discord. I could have really used that blessing before Wednesday. Yeah. The dice were so mean to us in our dice finale. Mean. Breakers. Yeah. Yeah. God. Like seriously, the most brutal dice game I've ever it was, it was good because you were just hitting it every mm -hmm. time, and that was like a good vibe for a finale. Very like, yeah. tense. Yeah. Yeah. So um I don't use adventure modules. <laughs> so um I I've used them occasionally for some games. Um I don't know if what I look for in adventure module module is actually what a lot of people look for. I feel like what I like is the opposite of what most like, especially D and D fans. What do you want. like? I like flexibility. Mm -hmm. I like there to be, um, definitely. Actually, I really love like content warnings up front at the top. Mm -hmm. Like there need to be content warnings on them, um, and I, I love like that in those content warnings. And a lot of these again are. Um, are more for indie games that tend to be like uh, a company uh, like extras for a Kickstarter generally are the only time indie games really get adventures very often mm -hmm. um, in those uh, content warnings or kind of just like heads up. It's like, Hey, you know, in this part of the adventure, this happens. If people don't want to do this, you can skip this and it does not affect the rest of the adventure. Mm -hmm. Just some like, like cliff notes, little things there for the GM to know up front so they don't have to read the whole module to know if it's a good match for their players. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, this sounds so amazing. The, you know, deep in the forest of magic fairies. You know, it's a terrible title. So I, I, I am not good at titles. Um, but whatever it's it is, you're like, yeah, fantastic. Uh, so you're like, pick up this thing. Oh, fairies, this will be so great. You know, I should run this. And so you, you buy it and you read through it. And then you're like, oh, hey, there's a giant. You know, mass murder of these fluffy bunnies. Oh, that definitely won't work for so-and-so who, you know, so then you've bought the module, you've spent the time to read through it, and then you realize it's not usable. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of adventures, you have to go through all the steps. And it's like, if you, if you want to skip out on something, you have to kind of make it up on your own. I yeah. love it when it's a little bit more flexible than that. I, I recently played in a game of um, Mothership, which is a, uh, a space horror RPG type thing. That was um, what I liked. It was an adventure module. And what I liked about it was it built in little respites from the endless grind of fighting monsters mm -hmm. and space beasts and all of that. And that made it more tense mm -hmm. when there were when there was outbreaks of, of combat. Um, I was space lesbian, which is the only <laughs> only thing I ever play anymore. Um, but I mean, 
Yeah, the uh, I, I think that I think that that is a uh, I think that the respite, having a little rest, having spaces where players can catch their breath, have a little like interpersonal interaction. That's not for everybody. Some people like the grind. Some people like just killing monsters. Um, but yeah, I uh, I I think that a, a, a just general advice that I often give people who are gming is to build a sandbox mm -hmm. and let people play in it and i think that adventure modules the handful i've read i'm always more drawn to the ones that have that sandbox approach they're like here's a town all this stuff's going on but you can do it in whatever order you want yeah yeah that's a great kind of setup for it um for challenges i love when they have multiple mm -hmm. options because for an adventure you want to have like the answers um mm -hmm. That definitely, if you're running an adventure, still be open. If your players come up with something amazing, don't be like, I'm sorry. The, the answer was three and a quarter, and you put 3.25. Like, no. Um, wow. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> this is a real teacher voice right there. <laughs> sorry. Doing a lot of <laughs> math instruction today, and it's, like, stuck in my brain. Um, but, uh, like, having, like, like, if they want to talk to the bad guy instead of kill them, like, have, like, those alternative ways of solving the problem uh, rather than just always being, oh, no, oh, you talked to him, it fails. Like, oh, you rolled a 20, it fails, because it's still in the adventure. Uh, yeah. And, uh, oh, there was one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, uh, yeah, like, like kind of inspired by, and, and linked to what you were saying, having, um, that like those respites built into the adventure, but also like having things in there that are interesting for them, not just even a pause, but like, Hey, like during this pause, you know, if, if you're, if your gaming group takes the time to sit and like interact, like, like have a fairy show up and give them a hint or something mm -hmm. like that. Like those are great little things that like, if it doesn't happen, fine, the adventure still works. But if they do take those times to really enrich role play, things like that, they get little like, Easter eggs, surprise, fun things. Yeah. So I love that in an adventure too. Consider adding space lesbians too. Yeah, like, always, yeah. always space lesbians. <laughs> uh, and yeah. yeah, nice art. Honestly, I like art on the front of an adventure. Like if I'm looking through stuff on like drive through or something, like, like one nice image and also yeah. support like struggling artists. Yeah, I always, I always think in any game, it is fun to feel like I have stepped into a world that would exist without me, and I think that's particularly true for adventure modules. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, a couple other things that the chat has mentioned: uh, giant text blocks. Oh yeah. yeah, like if you're talking like layout, there's a whole bunch of stuff to like think about: text size, like, like giant, just like pages of text. I will not. I will not read it. I will scan it and I will probably miss important things, but I just don't read like having important information in like little floating boxes mm -hmm. or in a different size text or in bold, just breaking it up. Those are all fantastic things. Uh, heavy art backgrounds. Oh yeah. That can't be turned off for printing. Yeah. Have a print friendly version. Absolutely. Yeah. And then fancy fonts. I like pretty fancy fonts, but not for the whole thing. Like that's like title, 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 Stuff can be pretty, like your your regular. The rest of it should be very easy to be read. It's very yeah. yeah. Although you mentioned Morkborg, and I think that breaks all of these rules, and I love it. It's so, so good. It is. <laughs> I know. Then that's the thing. It's like 
the true genius things are the ones that break all the rules. Yeah. And you just you can't hold those off as examples, even though they're fantastic. Yeah. When you know what you're doing, you can break any rule you want. Yeah. But first, or if you just don't give a fuck. And then, or, yeah. Yeah, and then people are like, hey, I love this. This is amazing. And yeah. you're like, okay, cool. That's yeah. great. I'm glad you like the thing that I made for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> time right. for my game where you play retired badgers. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, man. See, now I want like to take like uh, Dave's game about the retirement community, and I want to make it all like furry creatures. <laughs> like badgers great. and cats and like that just sounds all hang out. So good. The game that I wanna I most wanna run right now is 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 the RPG of Root. I think mm -hmm. that is really brilliant. Really brilliant political game, but it's about animals. So you like oh. yeah you play animals in a woodland at war, like good game. Is that root? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I say root because I'm from South Dakota. Yeah. That's I oh, brought it back around. Brought it back around. Sorry, I, I was like half reading the chat while you were. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. They have very some very interesting mechanics in that one that Magpie are playing with that are very interesting. Uh, and I'm I'm just I don't know. It's a it's a very interesting take on because it's it was a board game first mm -hmm. for those people who don't know. So it's interesting thinking about adapting a board game to a, an RPG, and they've done some pretty clever things. I think I haven't played it. But I'm, yeah. I'm really interested in it. Oh, that's why I need and to run it. Yeah, that's why I need absolutely. to do a campaign. That one too. I feel like my baby with me. Yeah, I feel like that. Someday we'll have like a little like toddler group, and it'll be great. Um, sorry, I'm like really excited about my friends having friends for my baby. Because <laughs> that's how it works at this age. Eventually, they'll have enough like self control in their lives to decide whether they actually like each other. But until then, they have to hang out because we want to hang out. Um. But what was I going to say? Oh, I think, doesn't that one have also one where you do like community building? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a cool community building mechanic in that one too. Yeah. 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 All right. I think that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here from the last episode of the season, Emily. Yes. I appreciate you. I'm so glad to be here. And remember, there's traffic on the 110 right now. So avoid that if you're heading south from <laughs> Pasadena. Yes. Uh, no James B. Mini Kimmy will not be Emily smaller Emily's babysitter because they're only two years apart. So <laughs> that's not how that works. But yeah. They but might, they can play together. They might hang out someday. Yeah, that's the thing. They could yeah. totally be friends. They're yeah. definitely within the like friends like like perfection golden. It is know. definitely time for us to start a Happy Jack's babies campaign. <laughs> like I like we're ten years out from that. It's yes. gonna be good. Yeah. Right now it's yeah. just a total choking hazard, so we yeah. can't do that. <laughs> Oh, man, the dice. I just have to hide them all the time. She's obsessed. It's so cute. All right. Anyway, that was a weird tangent. The end of the show. Thank you again. Uh, thank you for joining us for Season 30, Episode 25. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing patrons who keep us ad-free and independent. Thank you. Uh, my name is Kimmy. I'm uh, Emily. And thank you again. This is the last episode of Season 30. And so we will have two weeks off and we'll be back on October 21st to record the first episode of season 31. Thank you again for hanging in there through this very bumpy season as we got new equipment, found out new equipment didn't work, changed new equipment, learned how to edit things, learned all the things, hang the new equipment. So now everything's much more stable and we will continue to learn and grow with you, with us. Um, if you haven't joined our Discord, you should go do that because it's like a bumping great party and it's very active and it's nice to have like an online space where people can chat all day again 
And you can do that at happyjacks.org slash discord. Uh, tonight, we're going to leave you with a song. I know we've listened to a lot of uh, Mary Sue's music lately, but it felt very fitting to end the season with the full version of our intro song, which is A Thousand Lives by... Uh, it's actually written by Stu Venable with the third verse. And this version is written by me because he only wrote two verses and I wrote a happy third verse. And it's performed by the Mary Sues. And it is the full version of the music you hear at the top of the show wow. every time. So we will see you in two weeks. Please don't panic if you tune in next week and you're like, oh, they're gone. No, it's just for two weeks taking a break. I also have to finish running a bunch of cables that have been hanging dangerously here. So we will see you later. Thank you all so much. Bye. Bye. I've lived a thousand lives, I've climbed in a thousand souls, I've killed and fought and died, just for another goal. If I told you the things I'd see in my race, if I told you the is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. <laughs>